Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even if he's convicted, it, it, you know, it obviously doesn't get added to the end of a sentence, yeah. but it's still going to have a big, and, big and impact on terms yeah. of his, his ultimate release. I'm Nicola Talent. And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Killer Wayne Dundon was transferred to Portleash Prison last week after a fight with a fellow inmate, which turned into a mass brawl, resulting in four staff from Mountjoy being hospitalised. But on arrival at the prison, he failed a test in the so-called boss chair and is suspected of carrying a mobile phone internally. Dundon is now on the A5 punishment landing of the country's most secure jail, along with hitman for hire Alan Wilson and murderer Ray McAvoy. So how does the prison service handle an inmate like Dundon? Volatile, violent and always attempting to pick out the vulnerable. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about Dundon and the efforts to control him behind bars. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Now, we were asked, was that distracting? The, the TV screen. The TV screen, and we both said, no, no, not at all, until we could see ourselves on yeah. it. Yeah. And I reckon I'm wearing my mother's clothes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm, somebody, I'm wearing double denim. <laughs> somebody said that's not necessarily... A good thing. No, denim at least shirt. they're not the same color denim. I think isn't exactly, that? exactly. Black denim shirt. And, no, yeah. it's, it's it's. Um, but anyway, so no, Claude, it's not a bit distracting. We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> We're not going to sort of examine. You're not going to explain what you're talking about. My runners, about. look. You're not going to explain what you're talking about. My runners now. I do that. Anyway, you're not even going to explain what you're talking about to the to the to the listeners. Oh, you explain. They've, they've installed a new screen um, in this studio here where you can basically see yourself six times as, yeah. we, as we talk, at least. And it's like we're ne- you're never looking into the camera, I don't think, because you're always, your eyes are always off the wrong direction and everything. <laughs> so it is a little bit distracting, even though we said it wasn't. Okay. But it's what you guys see on YouTube. Um, and it's the different views. Sometimes it's the two of us in it. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's you. Yeah. It's all very technical. It's very yes. interesting. It's a kind of, we're moving into the next 
generation as such of journalism with all this, aren't we? We are. Yeah. There was a time we only really had to care about, um, you know, putting our heads down and typing into a Absolutely. I mean, laptop and you know, journalism changed. I mean, I remember when you go out in the job and people used to say, go into the local pub, the phone you in the local yeah. pub. Do you remember that? Three mobile phones. Yeah. Um, and you'd phone the local pub and the journalists be hanging around there to talk to the, the news desk. And it's not so long ago, of course. Well, it doesn't feel like it's so long ago, but it is really, I suppose, <laughs> okay, okay. when you think of it. But yeah. I remember getting my first mobile phone and I was in my very early 20s, I think, or thereabouts. And I think it was working for the Daily Mirror I was. And there was a guy who was like our news editor called Paul Smith in London. Yeah. And he was based in London in this massive big mirror group newsroom and he had the Irish flag on his desk because he was looking after the Irish edition and we were always off on these stories but I was in Donegal and you know the rough terrain that Donegal is but if I hit the top of a hill on the road the phone would go into activity and then if I went down a little bit it would switch off so it was very annoying for him because he always liked to keep tabs on you he was incredible yeah the amount of times he rang you during the day you could probably do him actually nowadays for sort of stalking or something (laughs) under some sort of legislation but um anyway so he was kind of like this was really frustrating for him that he couldn't contact me all the time and I was with um Lynn Kelleher our pal who was a journalist at the time she was working for a Sunday newspaper and we ended up the two of us in she was working on a story about a group up there called the Screamers. Right. I think there's actually a documentary been made on them now. And they were living in Burtonport. They were kind of a cult who had moved out to an island off Donegal with no electricity or anything. Yeah. Jenny James was their leader. And she had, I think, got built a boat and gone off across the Atlantic. Quite an extraordinary story, really. Yeah. And found a place for them to live in the jungles of Colombia. Right. And they were following her out. And yeah. But it was kind of around the time that we were all ignoramuses and we thought any kind of alternative religion was a cult yeah, and you yeah. couldn't live a different lifestyle and all this. So uh, just take a look at the screen there. <laughs> <laughs> so they can leave messages on for us as well. Cool. But anyway, um, so Lynn was doing a story on this Screamers and, and how they were still in Burtonport. Yeah. And we had gone into their headquarters as such or their house undercover supposed to be sort of two backpackers interested in the screamer lifestyle and all the rest, looking to join up. And we'd had a kind of, we'd been on the road a good while and we were tired. I'm sure we'd been out and about and out up late and all the rest of it. So we ended up at this sort of um, film night with the screamers and um, Lynn fell asleep. And I remember going, this is ridiculous. We're here undercover and she's falling asleep (laughs) and I couldn't get her, wake her up. And the next thing, a girl came up the stairs. I could hear her coming, like up one floor, two floor, three floor. And eventually she came into the room really confused. And she said, does anybody know a Nicola Talent? And I went, shit. Because yeah. I had gone in as whatever I was, Jane yeah. Doe. And I went, why? And she said, there's a guy on the phone <laughs> called Paul Smith. He says he's ringing from the London desk. <laughs> yeah. So basically I go down the stairs, I pick up the phone. Hello? Oh, there you are. And he'd like, just he just wanted to follow me. What he had done was, because Burtonport was small, yeah. he'd always found you in the local yeah. pub. Either found you or you'd been in, yeah. you might have been in the night before. Leave a message or then you, you. Or you'd leave a message for you. Yeah. So he'd rang the local pub and they said, yeah, there was two girls here earlier and they were, I think they went across the road to such and such, you know, Jenny yeah. James's house. Oh, have you got their number? So in he rings and he totally blew our cover. Yeah. 
Totally. Yeah. So I had to go up, wake your one up. Let's get out <laughs> here before we get screamed at. They were still going before we get screamed <laughs> It was primal scream therapy as well. It would have like blown your Sounds hair back Sounds actually interesting, to be honest. No, it is interesting. Um, Somebody told me there's a big movie being made about the whole story. Her grandson, so there was Jenny James was the, the original founder of it. Rebecca James was her daughter and she had remained, I think, in Burtonport mm. while they were building their new commune in Colombia. But her son, so the, the Jenny James lady's grandson, right. Tristan was his yeah. name. He ended up being murdered by FARC guerrillas in Colombia. Oh. It was really sad. Yeah. He was only a young guy. He was 18. They were very peaceful. Like, yeah, they just believed in that primal scream therapy, which I think has been... It's probably still in use somewhere. Absolutely. But not nowadays would it be kind of deemed. Well, it was popular, of course, in, it in was. the 70s. Yeah. Sort of John Lennon and. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that was a very long winded story. It was. Um, but I mean, the most thing I remember for the digital era is when I got my first sat nav as a journalist. I don't remember that. And it would just bring you to the house yeah. and the amount of hours where I saved, where you'd be down the country, rolling down the window. Mm-hmm. Do you know where this is? Oh, yeah, it's go go left and go this, and you just absolutely end up lost. I mean, it just saved so much time. I used to remember so my poor late father, and yeah. he was like my sat-nav for years. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. joked about it. I don't remember getting my first sat-nav, but I definitely cannot imagine life without it. No. Because, and I think of all the skills you lost. Yeah. Though with that. The maps. and The map reading and skills. And then even just and the, the communication skills of rolling down the window. Yeah. How are you? How are you? Yeah. Can you tell me where that is? And God knows who you had met and yeah. what else they could yeah. tell you. Because yeah. often you'd ask the local postman. Yeah. 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 And then you'd get the full story and what yeah. you were looking yeah. for. But anyway, we sound like two dinosaurs now going on which about we this. Are. Which so. we maybe are. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about no. screamers or anything like have that. Have got any good segue into Wayne Dundon? How, how will I do this? Well, well maybe, somebody you probably were writing about Nearly back in those days. Maybe so, yeah. Yes. It's still on my radar. Still on your radar. So Wayne Dundon has, in the last week, um, so he's been in Mountjoy Jail. Yeah. He's so violent, isn't he? Those Dundons are so incredibly violent. Yeah, I mean, I think they've been the most problematic prisoners, really, uh, in, in the prison system over the last couple of decades, most of which they've they've all sent... Uh, the four brothers have spent most of their time over those two decades in prison. Um, John, Wayne, Desi are serve, all serving life sentences for murder. And Jared Dundon is now in prison in the UK, but has been in and out of the Irish prison system mm-hmm. over the last couple of decades. Um, they've been, you know, I think the prison service have learned a method of coping with them, which is really to, they've been moved around a huge amount of times. You don't hear so much about Desi. With the violence, I know certainly certainly Wayne seems to have an inability to control a temper that wells in him. And no matter where he is or who it is against, he has no control over it. That's how it appears. Well, I think some people say Desi is the most sinister of them, really? actually. I mean, Desi, of course, has a much greater motivation in that. He's been in, in prison for almost 20 years, I would think, is it? And now I could be slightly wrong with that, but he's serving... Yeah, you would be right. It was 2002, I think, when the, the that Limerick feud kicked off, basically. Yeah, and he, Desi is serving life for the murder of Kieran Keane Sr. So he's been in a long time and he may have a motivation to stay out of trouble. I mean, he'd be, if he was, uh, there's many people who serve something around 17 to 19 years for a life sentence these guys are unlikely to, to get out earlier. 
But Wayne is right smack in the middle of a life sentence. And again, um, in Mount Joy this week, he was involved in a in a very, very serious incident. And it brings home the, the risks faced by, not just by uh, other prisoners on to wait from Wayne, but also to prison staff. So um, he appears to have had um, a some sort of a row with this inmate called Stephen Coveney Ryan, who we haven't heard a huge amount about, but he's in jail, Coveney Ryan, for... Uh, threatening basically his girlfriend. He threatened to he threatened his pregnant girlfriend, actually. He was a guy who met with his partner in Bosaurus in Dublin some years ago. She was living in Donegal. They swapped numbers. She went back up to Donegal and they continued to text and built up a bit of a, a relationship on text. And some weeks into this, he texted her and said he was homeless. He had nowhere to go. She invited him to Donegal to come live with her and there a relationship began between the two of them. Um, And then a few months in, she's pregnant and he one night had cooked her a meal. She didn't want to eat it. They were having a a fight and he attacked her and he basically threatened to kill her and she ended up locked into the house. She had to escape through a window. She went to her parents' home, um, took refuge in a car and he continued to threaten her on the mobile phone said he was going to chop her up and feed her to the pigs. Um, and he's serving a, a jail term for that. Yeah. We know little about him other than that, really. Yeah. I mean, so he seems to have have uh, become involved in a dispute with Wayne Dundon for one reason or another. Um, during this this dispute occurred in Mountjoy Prison, where Wayne Dundon has been, you know, he has served time in other prisons and has been moved in there. And he... Wayne Dundon seems to have been armed with what's been described as a blade, but I presume it's a sort of makeshift. Shield, makeshift, they call it. Yeah. And, um, you know, they can make those with, but there's very inventive in prisons, but they've, they've made them with razor blades. They've made them. Yeah. But razor blades with, and toothbrushes, t- various things. Like things that. stolen out of the yeah. kitchen, you know, probably the tops of knives, whatever. Yeah. But it's some sort of a blade he had and he attacked. He attacked, um, Mr. Coveney Ryan, and their prison guards attempted to intervene. And during uh, the fight, Fordham got injured to them more, more seriously. And, you know, that's that's probably not the first time that Wayne Dundon has shown no compunction about uh, attacking police mm. officers, prison guards, people in authority. Um, even as a young man in Limerick, he, had a, he was involved in a very serious assault on a guard where he left him with very serious facial injuries, uh, extremely volatile person. Um, he's in Mount Joy. Uh, he, he's he's been involved in a lot of contraband operations. Um, you know, seems to have certainly have had uh, input into the the continued operation of the what's left of the Dundon McCarthy gang. Really, you know, probably the remnants based around his his hometown area of Hyde Road. And yeah, so it's it's it it is a shocking incident f- mm. for sure. He's a huge guy. Like he's he's so like he's, broad well, and 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 yeah. I don't think he's particularly tall now. No, I think. but he's he's like I've seen him in court and he is huge. He's like what you, 
describe as yeah. built like a brick shit house. Like he's yeah. he's a big wide yeah. unit. Of and he's a, he's a yeah. isn't he a boxer? He's a bare knuckle boxer. Uh, he well, he's, was yeah. He's he's a menacing person, and of course mm. he has been a you know there there. I think in two thousand seventeen there was uh, steroids and yeah. found in in during one search in the prison uh, that were linked to him. Um, but I think it's it's the Dundon certainly at one stage when they were in Wheatfield. Um, back before they were convicted of 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 murders, him and John, I mean they were they really terrorized that jail in a way. Um, you know they had a they've they've certainly been heavily involved in the sale of drugs within the prison system, particularly at that time, um, where I think they they probably have learned more how to handle them. But really, what they were Do you doing. Recall the incident with that other inmate that was photographed. Yeah, I mean that was that was uh, um, John Dundon in particular. And that was exactly their modus operandi in what the prison. What did they do that time? Well, they just had him, uh, you know, they they drew all over his his face. They were bullying him, making him pose for humiliating pictures, a number of other things. But what they really were doing in that jail at that time was that they had a load of these sort of l- low-level mm. people suffering from addiction. And they were terrorizing them, really. Mm. Um, they were getting them, they were feeding them drugs. These guys had developed debts. Then they were putting uh, huge pressure on them, forcing their families to pay. Um, so it really was a, a, like it was a, quite a sinister operation. You've you know? described exactly what people within their own community of Hyde Road would describe uh, the way they behaved when they were at their height of their power yeah. on the outside. Yeah. So they literally have taken that or took that MO and moved it into the prison system yeah. where and people had nowhere to run. And of course, like a lot of it is is based on the fact that they would uh, give them drugs yeah. on credit. But that's what they were doing in the communities. Exactly. And then they were, they were absolutely dragging young guys yeah. into criminality, getting them to hold guns for them, yeah. getting them to do other stuff for them. Um, Families were, down around that area would be just described the terror and of them arriving at your front door, either John or Wayne, and ordering your child, your teenage boy or whatever, all boys usually, to get up out of bed and get out and do something for them and bursting past the mothers and just yeah, so having no the, regard. So they had all these guys who were not major criminals, owing them, you know, it could be little as of 30, 40 quid, but it's a huge amount of money in prison. And then in order to work off that debt, they'd get them to attack other people. And they were getting the money in um, in, in Paddy Power accounts. People on the outside would, nice. would put in money in a Paddy Power account that they could access on contraband phones. This all went on for a period of time. But in recent years, they've been segregated a lot, mm. a lot uh, more. They've been kept out of the population. Mm. They've been moved around. They've been broken up at times. Um, Nathan Colleen as well, of course, John Dundon's sort of uh, brother-in-law, for for want of a better term. So they have been moved around a lot. Um, but Wayne Dundon, it just shows you he's still a, a dangerous person. Um, he is, and of course, when he was, he was, you know, the prison officers went to hospital. I imagine that the inmate, because he appears to have had an injury to his neck from the blade, also went to hospital, uh, or certainly was treated medically. But he was removed and eventually sort of, you know, they overcame him, I suppose. And then they had to move him from Mount Joy. And it was decided he was going to be moved back to the Port Leash. Yeah. And on his way into Port Leash, they have a thing called the boss chair, they call it. Yeah. It seems to be the, the nickname for this thing that they sit on. Yeah. And it's a kind of a metal detector. 
And sure enough, they discovered that there was something inside him, basically, that set it off. They suspect it is a mobile phone that he was carrying um, inside. He has always had mobile phones in the prison, which he uses to direct terror on the outside as well as... Yeah, of course, like Wayne Dundon, Wayne Dundon, of course, ordered the murder of Roy Collins on a contraband phone. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the evidence that was given in court and ultimately sees him serving a life sentence in prison. So that's the danger of, of these of him guys. Having having, yeah. Exactly. Um, so they have these things. It's the boss chair, it's body orifice security scanner. Oh, it actually so, is. Yeah, yeah. The boss is the real yeah, word yeah, for it. I thought yeah. that was the nickname for it. No, so it's called, it looks, I mean, I've, I've seen the old ones. I don't know if there's, I think they might have got an upgraded there's version. A new one in Port Leash, apparently, yeah. which they used to be able to. Um, manipulate, yeah, but they can't anymore. I mean, it actually looks like a kind of an electric chair, kind of. Yeah, well, the old ones do anyway. Like you actually sit in it, yeah, and it's I don't know what sort of technology, but some sort of X-ray-like technology. It's not going to be X-ray yeah. technology, but something along those lines, and it shows up. Obviously, picks up metal or other yeah. things. Um, now they used to have these phones where if you Google it. Go in and you'll Google beat the boss phones is what they're actually sold as in shops in Ireland and yeah. online. And they were little uh, phones with no metal in them. Yeah. Little plastic, tiny little right. phones, like the size of a key fob, literally. And so this new chair must uh, detect. I'm oh, it, actually, I think what it does is it detects a, like a, I don't know what the word is. Yes. But, you know, like a phone would have to emit a signal. Yes. I think it detects signals as opposed to just metal. Yeah. Um, and that's what, so Dundon isn't gone into the main prison population, Port Leash, he's gone to the A5 landing, which we spoke about recently. That's the punishment wing. Yeah. Um, and I was only talking to Eamon last week about somebody else who'd been put into that punishment wing, Alan Wilson, yeah. um, the hitman for hire who was uh, jailed in relation to a conspiracy to kill um, a a member of the, or certainly associate of the Hutch organization, um, Gary Hanley. Gary Hanley, and yeah. he was directed by the, the Kinahan organization working for them. He's in jail. He's in the A5 landing because he also had fallen out with fellow prisoners. And yeah, had, I mean, he'd fallen out with his old associates, I think, in the in the cartel. Yeah. Um, and there's another individual who's also in the A5. They're in good company, these three. Um, and the third is a guy called Graham McAvoy. Yeah. Do you know about him? Well, I know uh, he killed a guy called Paulie Curran. It was one of those kind of, um, you know, they they he described himself, Gray McAvoy, as as Paulie Curran as his best friend. There didn't seem to be a huge, though that was actually disputed by Paulie Curran's uh, family. Didn't seem to be a, a huge buildup. But one of these horrific, violent crimes that seems to have sprung out of nothing. Very young man when it was it was stabbed him six times. Stabbed him six times. Just one of these kind of really violent acts that obviously left the, the family mm-hmm. devastated. Um, so I think he has also had problems in in the prison system. When M- McAvoy was being brought to court or he's been transferred and he was in, he, he made an attempt at an escape, which is why he's in the A5 wing. He, um, I think, also got his hands on one of these makeshift shivs, as they call them, and attacked a prison officer as he was being moved and... Uh, I think he, again, the prison officer was injured during that. He was subdued eventually by other officers who were in the van. But you just obviously can't let your guard down. No. For a second. I mean, I know some of the more volatile criminals and the ones who are probably more likely to attack without warning that they are flagged in the system and that 
um, you know, they've, they've certain ways of moving them and maybe extra officers have to be there. But like, I think you'd just be on the edge of your nerves all the time. Yeah, I mean, there's some of these they guys... smell fear, I'd say. I mean, there's some really problematic prisoners in, in, the, in the system and they're actually really are in a quite a small minority. Mm. And they come in all shapes and sizes. I mean, Gray McAvoy, I think, is a small, slight-looking yeah. guy. I mean, Alan Wilson is a sm- another small, uh, un- sort of un- unthreatening-looking, really, I know. Yeah. Um, but there's some of these guys have this really, really short fuse and can can explode at any moment. Paul Crosby, I think, has been in trouble as well for fighting with other inmates. And obviously then there's there's the people, the the, the Dumbrell brothers as well. Um, mm. So there, there's various people that have had that really high profile and, and volatile nature. But Wayne Dundon is probably, um, is one of them, but he also is somebody who has a significant reach on the outside and within the prison system through through gangland contacts and through mm. through some of his own family members, obviously. And all the while, I mean, you know, it's within our constitution and within our beliefs as a society, we have to, these people's human rights have to be observed at all points and they have to be treated humanely within the prison system. And so they can be punished, but they will be going back into the main prison system. And, you know, they always, the troublesome ones always seem to be the ones that shout, loudest about their rights as well don't they well i think first that you see suing over something or other or their treatment yeah i mean people like freddie thompson i think some for some of these people you know prison must be difficult for a start for anybody i think sometimes to be involved in a bit of conflict like that with with the system maybe makes them feel a bit better Mm. um a bit less uh you know it's it must be feel a bit more empowered to be in in a in a fight with the system, um, Wayne Dundon, of course, has brought some some uh, challenges uh, to the to the to way in which he's he's housed in the prison system in terms of accessing education. I mean, you know, he have they have they certainly have been under a, uh, a tight leash for much longer mm. than others, um, but obviously for a good good reason. I mean, there is no better reason than. The evidence that was given in in the case that convicted him um, about how he was able to order murders, shootings uh, from his prison, from the prison cell on contraband phones. The um, idea of shutting down the signal completely into prisons mm. has been sort of thrown around a little bit. And obviously human rights come into that. And obviously the staff within the prisons have to be able to make phone calls and all. I think I mean, the only place I've seen it properly mm-hmm. recently in the news is in El Salvador. I mean, I think the problem, I mean, I, I live, you know, not too far away from Mount Joy. Mount Joy is right in the middle yeah. of Dublin city centre. I mean, how you would operate that just within that, that suppose, yeah. few hundred metres, I think, would be very, very complicated. I mean, nearly all of our, Ireland's prisons are in urban centres, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. I mean, they're... I think that house would be the only one in its place where they're allowed at the phones. Yeah, I mean, that's the other interesting bit. Like, um, I think in uh, Shelton Abbey and in Lock and House, aren't they allowed mobile phones? They're allowed to phone. They're not allowed to have smartphones. They're not allowed to use the internet, but they are allowed to have one of those old-fashioned phones with just the SIM card in them. And I think they're kind of let be known that the phones, you know, that the the prison services can monitor their phones. It's not as if they have yeah. free reign, but um, they which are allowed. Yeah, which is people don't know that, I think. Like, you know, like normally in, in 
prisons like Mount Joy or whatever. Um, you have, you have. Prisons. People don't know a lot of this nonsense. <laughs> no, no, have no, floating around not, our heads. No reason to know. No, arguably not even interested. <laughs> but I mean, uh, like they prisoners mm. kind of they have act they have uh, a certain amount of, pris- of phone time every day or every week, and that's you know mostly to keep in contact with their families, and they can they can phone, but though all of those phone calls are are monitored. Mm. I think they're routinely recorded. They're not every phone call is not listened to. But they can listen to them if they want to. So, but is it not possible to just inside a building have no signal? Like, does that have to affect the outside of the building too? Well, I would, I would think that that would be difficult because yeah. you're blocking. You're going to block. You're, you're, you're going to block it. Yeah. And I mean, you know yourself, even as they talk in court cases about mm-hmm. mobile phone signals bouncing off towers and stuff. I presume that's the the particular challenge, you know. Mm. Um, you know, and then. Um, Obviously, there was, at, at, at least at one point, I think there was, somebody had a satellite phone in one of the prisons. I don't know if that was ever confirmed. How the hell would you get that in? Well, I mean... Did it come in a box? No. I, <laughs> well, I don't, I actually, this is a number of years ago, and that was at least reported that somebody had a satellite phone, which would escape that. And Look, extraordinary things are smuggled into prisons yeah. in extraordinary places. Well, I don't think we need to go into, I had Eamon Dillon talking a little bit about all that there the other day. Yes. And it's just too much for me. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, it is a little bit too much for me. And yeah. I suppose, yeah, you know, I suppose it's a com- such a completely different environment that people do what they have to do in their world. They yeah. see it to survive or to get on or whatever. Yeah. So they will do all sorts of, but it seems so alien to us on the outside. A lot of things that happen in prison and within the prison systems. and Yeah, and I mean, if you think about people that are in there for a long, long time, it's it becomes an absolutely other world, really. But the fear that the Dundons at a time when they were running the inside of the prison the way they were, yeah. that they evoked, must have been beyond anything. I mean, you have no way to get away from somebody in prison. You no. cannot walk out the door. You obviously, there is that strict code of omerta exists in there and you know what's waiting for you if you tout, if you complain, you know, it's not so easy to be confident that you're going to be just moved if you make a complaint and you'll never see these guys again. And I imagine the jungle drums, the rumours that go from one prison to the next to the next. Absolutely. And remember they had these, I mean, at this stage now, they are largely persona non grata with much of the criminal underworld. Mm. But back at their at their peak, I mean, they were very, very close to the Kinnan cartel, in particular people like, um, you know, Paddy Doyle, who, who lived down there, uh, Ross Browning, who, who ended up with, you know, a a property. Houses, yeah. yeah um, uh, you know, people like Graham Whelan and Fat Freddie Thompson. So they had all of those connections all throughout the prisons to get access to prisoners, even if they were moved or put mm-hmm. in other in other prisons. They had all their own people that were linked to them by blood relatives. So that was a really big, scary mm-hmm. part of it. If some prisoner fell out with them, owed them money, it's not as if they could be moved to another landing and be free of them. Other than that, you were really talking about being on lockdown all the time. Yeah. Um, I remember talking to a guy who actually phoned me from the jail Mm. And he was saying he'd been ordered to to slash somebody who owed them 50 quid right. across the face because he owed them some yeah. money. And he was talking to me about it. He absolutely was like the guy. In hell. Yeah, he just did not want to do it. Yeah. But it was that or get it happen to him. Yeah. And these are all these little micro debts. But really, it was just a way of controlling that. It was that. a way of absolutely. I mean, they're, you know, they... They weren't about flash cars, really, no. and that kind of thing. No. They were about con- 
control and about fear. That was their drug. Yeah. Creating that fear everywhere they went and within communities. And yeah, like there was there was a terrible badness to them. There was and there was there was a, you know, certainly in, in on the outside, there was a lot of sort of relatively naive and and, you know, young men who who got sucked in with them. Mm. And another guy, I remember, I think I've even said this before, I remember he used to ring me up as well and he used to say to me, I can't, couldn't believe people, he'd read the stories, people got paid 10,000 for a hit, like in Dublin. And he'd say, Jesus, you wouldn't get 500 quid off the Dundons, they just tell you to do it. Do and it. if you didn't do it, you'd be fucked. And nice. that was it, do you know? Yeah. So like there was no big money or... or mm. And, you know, we've seen, you know, people that have got and it's why it's important to keep policing and to keep i mean you know supporting the and funding the prisons the intelligence systems that they have running in them you can't allow these people no and i mean regain power control you can't have a situation that wayne dundon every time he decides that he well he doesn't decide he's going to lose his temper he just loses it doesn't he and they describe him as people describe him as being sort of, you know, translucent white and that he almost froths at the mouth. Yeah. He just goes into this rage. His eyes are red and terrifying creature. Um, yeah, and like, and you have to look at the prison service. You know, it's easy to criticise how did he get the phones in or the drugs and mm. all of that. I mean, I think it, worldwide you can see, like, it seemed almost impossible to stop it, mm. you know, um, without an absolute savaging of people's human rights and while operating within those rights i'm talking about that we have to and we have signed up to doing it like while you're operating within that yeah you have to take sort of the good with the bad i mean we can't just sort of say let's do el salvador like i mean what's happened there in the prison system is yeah yeah i mean they that has that is the the furthest extent yeah that human beings could be put in yeah hundred and forty five thousand, i think people have been locked up yeah. And gangs are literally allowed roam the prisons, kill one another. Yeah. They're almost given the weapons to go to war within the walls of the prisons. Yeah, they're 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 basically allowed police themselves. Yeah. So I mean we don't have that. And you know, and you have to say the prison service have become a lot more sophisticated in in dealing with problematic prisoners. Mm. And you know, you have to accept as well, you have people in there that have huge take huge risks and are volatile and it cannot, it just will never be a totally smooth operation. No. Um, so do you think Wayne Dundon will be facing charges in relation to this incident? Well, he, he may well do. Um, you know, they have... It can uh, hardly be an internal investigation if people have actually been injured and have been hospitalized. No, I think they they, they will criminally prosecute. It could, could well criminally prosecute, we don't know. Mm. Um, what evidence is there? I mean, Wayne Dundon is serving a life sentence Um there's no obligation on the state to ever let him out as such. Um, you know, he'll always be serving a life sentence. Now, most people who are serving life, you know, they eventually get out. But even when they do get out, they, they can be brought back in if they breach the terms of their release. Or, or So, I mean, if you're a gangland criminal in, in prison, I mean, I think Brian Mean, he must be approaching... I mean, he, he must be approaching 35 years in prison, is he? Something along those I mean, lines. 98. 98. So, yeah, so that's... that's. Is that <laughs> confidence. Well, I mean, I haven't a clue what that is. That could be 13 to me. I have no... Well, it would, so he'd be 25 years in, sorry, would he? 
Well, don't ask me. Okay. But I mean, unless I can get out my calculator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Actually, so. do you know what? Wouldn't it be amazing if these maths, mathematic conundrums we have could be solved <laughs> by that amazing screen in front of us there? But uh, so Brian Mean, for example, that's an Brian's example of somebody. I'll do this sum on okay. my okay. calculator. If I can find well, the calculator. Well, look, 23 plus 2 would be my 20, 25 years. Yeah, you know. Well, you're not, you weren't so sure no, no, a few just, minutes no, ago. I'm just, yeah, go you for were it looking then. at me go going, oh, uh, uh, anyway. So, I mean, that would be an example where if you look at Brian Mean, it's probably uh, been a, a good prisoner in recent years. Um, certainly he was suspected of being involved in drugs for a long time in the prison. In recent years, he's become very quiet and, and uh, as is now in Shelton Abbey at some point. But if you're looking at those guys who are done for gangland murders mm. and many others, they're not, they're serving far more than the average 17 to 19 years or, uh, for life sentence prisoners. Mm. So they're getting an extra tariff because they still have to be given that release. I mean, Wayne Dundon is looking at a long time more in prison. Mm. Any conviction he gets for violence within the prison system doesn't get added consecutively. It's, it's, but it'll go against it him. Goes against him. Yeah. It goes against yeah. him. But these guys who get convicted of murder, gangland murders, of the type of Wayne Dundon, they're really, you'd be amazed to see them out before mm. 30 years, would you? I'd like to think. You, you would be surprised, though. I mean, it's very... Surprised. I mean, you look at Brian Kenny, he almost made his way out, didn't he? Well, he... Except he screwed up himself. He did. He got himself as far as Lockin Abbey. Yeah. Lockin, Lockin House, House, rather. And uh, went on, was given weekends free... Day, I mean, he, that murder he committed of Jonathan O'Reilly was only in 2004. Yeah. And he had been in Lockin House for two years. This is at least last year this happened. Yeah. So he had only served 16 years or so, yeah. 15 years. Yeah. And was on his springboard to freedom. Yeah. Was getting out for weekends, was getting out. Supervised, was he? Or unsupervised? Unsupervised. He was, he was getting out. He was visiting family. He was mm. attending. While he was in the main prison system, he was getting out for family yeah. Occasions. Yeah. For, for, you know, communions, things like that. And then in Lock and House, he was unsupervised, allowed home for the weekends. Yeah. And then he was caught. There was an investigation into some drugs and he was thrown back into the main prison system. So he's kind of back to square one, but going for parole again. Yeah. So like they don't all serve 30 no, years. No. And I don't. I, it's funny, the system, because not all prisoners are treated the same. No. Like and it's not just because of the way they behave behind bars, because Brian Kenny has been caught with contraband behind bars. And yet he seemed to be somebody that was treated as if he wasn't a danger to anybody. No. Despite the fact that Joey O'Callaghan is still living with a threat, number of threats to his life. Um, he was seen as somebody who wouldn't reoffend. clearly, that he was on the brink of getting parole. Um, and yet... To me, he's as dangerous as he ever was, if not more. Yeah, I mean, we don't. I I think that's been part of the uh, the problem with the parole system and why people have so many complaints about it. Some mm. of the victims' families felt they weren't given a voice. Obviously, that was a huge part of it. But it seems that it's it's it seems a bit uh, like a lot of things in Ireland. Nobody's explaining what the criteria are. Yeah. Um, you know, so that 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 has been one of the issues. Some of the things as well that have been discussed have been minimum sentencing, which we see in in the north, for example, mm -hmm. where people get a life sentence and they get a minimum tariff of say twenty years or you know whatever whatever figure. Um, 
in the UK that operates in that way. So you do get a sense that that's the minimum this person could serve. And, you know, how that would be reached that would be decided maybe on a guilty plea on mm. remorse all those types of things so yeah it's it there, there is so a, i'm sure the people of limerick would be more comforted to think that wayne dundon won't be getting out for any time in the foreseeable future at all and that in a way when he does act out like this he's only just yeah intensifying Oh yeah, exactly. So look, even if he's convicted, it, it you know it obviously doesn't get added to the end of a sentence, yeah. but it's still going to have a big, a, big impact on terms yeah. of his his ultimate release. So what's the story for this week? What's going on? Um, well, uh, you know what's happening this week. Well, I kind think of into July is it beginning to get a bit. The courts are still the courts are still operating. So yeah. I mean that's that's still a couple of interesting trials coming up. There is that's still well, in a, particular. I wouldn't mind getting down to, or maybe Claude might go a day or two, and we'll bring her in and have a chat with her about it. Yeah. So there are still there is still that. I mean Ryan Tuberty is, and the RTE has has. I mean, I think, you know the 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 coup in New, the in Russia where the guys yeah the Wagner group that got two days yeah you know yeah. where there was nearly World War Three and you know that got two days and Ryan Tuberty's on and RT is still week three along yeah so that's been a huge story yeah um, but um you know it will things will quieten down a little bit we say in it August. will every time we say things will quieten down stuff happens but the courts come to have a break yeah and um you know, a lot of stuff is put on hold really until yeah. kind of coming into September. But still, I guarantee you, we'll be waffling away here because there'll be plenty of crime to talk about. There always is, Nicola. Yeah. And if something really big happens, it'll be when are you taking your holidays? And we'll be we'll be happen. either admiring. I I'm going to go get new wardrobe, and uh, so I can. And what are you going to do? I'm going to stick with double denim. Are I you? <laughs> <laughs> Which for again, yeah. you know. Not I could do it. Watching hair YouTube my hair has gone so long, I can't even wear it down at the moment. It's double just like, denim like could a be, double denim could be a big thing. Medusa or something. <laughs> um, I'm just ignoring you in your double denim. Okay. I could try double denim and see what it looks like on me. No, I won't. I'm I'm definitely going to go and and you know modernize my wardrobe, right. considering I have to look at myself now. Okay, so it's just it's going to be a whole new thing. Nice. We should we should get image rights pay or something for that that we have to look at ourselves. Yeah, I, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And talk to Peter about that. Yeah, see, see if we can get some cash out of the bar, be, an Al Barter account or something. For I'll go in as the Crime World <laughs> Union head, yeah. and start discussing. You're it. not got an old Renault Barter account or oh, something. Yeah, no, yeah, it'd be grand. Imagine getting a free car. Yeah, yeah. Would you like? Well, you could do it one. My car. I mean, mine is actually at least respectable. My yes. car. No, mine is. Um, no, you could do it a free car. I'd probably could, yeah. Anything free, you know, I'd sell my soul for yeah. very, very low, low cost. <laughs> <laughs> it's gas. We are definitely at a further end of a scale yeah. than, than those people that we're, we're discussing. Anyway, listen, we'll uh, talk later in the week anyway as things start moving. Thank you. Nicole. Okay. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? 
Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.